Um, when people approach finances, everybody has all kinds of questions, and everybody comes from a bit different perspective. So we're going to tackle both from a practical standpoint of view, so there's going to be some very practical stuff, and from a theological standpoint of view. I am not an investment advisor. That not, was not my role. My role was in the community, teaching people. Um, so I taught at various places. I, I've taught at Fanshawe. I've taught Western. Uh, I've taught in many businesses in London and community social service events. So a wide spectrum of people over the years that I did it. So I've tried to approach this just from a very practical standpoint of view. With that being said, uh, like any time when I've spoken, I'm open to questions. And if I don't have the answer, I will not feed you a bologna sandwich. I will just tell you I don't have the answer, and I will go find it um, as best I can. So I want you to remember that. Uh, feel free to answer or ask any questions. <coughs> Excuse me. And if there's anything we want to go over, uh, I've kind of re reserved week five um, to talk about giving and what that means but also reserved it so if there's something that we need to talk about a little more in depth, so if people wanted to talk about um, registered education savings plans or something like that, I have room that I can stick things in like that and we can spend some time with it. Okay, this is actually a real picture. I thought that was cool. Friends of mine were in Florida and they were on a boat and the bird came right at him and he snapped the picture. <laughs> so I said, hey, can I borrow that one? They said, sure, go ahead. So great. Always a disclaimer. Sorry. Uh, I try to keep the accurate information best as I can. I endeavor it to be reliable and accurate, uh, but I don't make any guarantees. We had to do that every time we went out. Okay, I want to have a little bit of fun before we get beginning here because I got some questions for you. Has anybody heard of Yap Island? <clears throat> and I put that up there so you knew that it was a real island. It's called Yap Island. It's not just because the people are talkative. Okay. Actually, one time when I did do this, there was a woman that raised her hand. She was from Burma, uh, from the Karen group, and when she was coming to Canada, they actually had a layover in Yap Island. I've been there. She's the only person I've met that's been there. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay. Does anybody know? i got to go back. Is it that? There it is. Anybody know what these are? Pardon? Money. They're money. Yep. Do you know what they're called? Yap stones. Or Rhea stones. But they're called Yap stones. So that is actually real money. Here's an up-close look at one. <clears throat> so if you were to go to the island, um, you will find these all over the island. And they were actually, it's actually a series of islands make up Yap Island. Um, they're not tons, but a series. And these were brought onto the island to be used as money. So they're fairly thick, fairly wide, uh, the biggest ones. You saw in the original picture different sizes. And the value is always based off of size, craftsmanship, history. So if a famous sailor brought it in, or if there was another famous event tied to the stone, it would increase its value. I say that with, and it would be used um, in different social transactions. So it could be used as a dowry. We all know what a dowry is, right? Everybody know what a dowry is? Okay, that's good. Anybody get a dowry? You're laughing. I got a dowry. I don't know why you guys are laughing. 
<clears throat> I'm a little upset because my dowry disappeared on me eventually, but we got married. The big joke was Marjorie can't have cow's milk, was that I also inherited a goat with the marriage. So we got married. We had a goat, and on weekends, we would leave London on usually a Saturday night because we'd go down and watch this old house, but we'd go milk the goat and pick up milk for the week and come back to London with the milk from Tilsonburg. And uh, somewhere along the line, the dowry was sold, and I didn't get the money either, so I'm not sure what happened. But it would, use, it would be used in inheritance, and, and there were some weird things on this island. A, a lot of kids seemed to go missing. So you could come home to your house, and there would be a note on your door, and it would say, hey, we want one of your yap stones, and we have child number one and four. And it's literally their history, so they kidnap each other's children and hold them hostage for a yap stone. So, of course, you'd call a family meeting and say, okay, kids, do we want both one and four, or is one a bit of a pain? And we, no, no, no. <laughs> they'd, give, they'd give up the yap stone, and they'd, they'd bring all the kids in with them. So that's a yap stone. I bring the yap stone up because we all approach money differently. How we were raised, um, if you had money, you didn't have money. There's a lot of things that go up and go into the makeup of our approach in money. If you grew up in a Christian church, did they teach money? Or was money a taboo subject that, you know, it, it just was, it wasn't spoken about, right? You could speak about religion in church, but not money and not politics. That never came up. Um, so it all depends. So today we just want to spend some time learning about it. So session, what was session one, the whole thing I've called the theology of money. Uh, but session one God talks a lot about money. True? Right? Okay. You see money happen a lot in the Scripture. Some 2,000 references to wealth or property of some sort. And you've probably heard the saying, right? God says more about money than any other topic. Everybody, anybody heard that? Yep. Okay. I want to teach you right from the beginning something we've talked about in the morning services several times. Always look for context. And there's a reason for that. There's a difference between teaching about money and using money as an illustration. And unfortunately, <clears throat> there's a lot of guys out there that talk about money and they, they, they kind of, they pull, and we'll go through some of this, they kind of pull it out of context a little bit. And it's like, oh, that's not really what they're talking about. So here's one that came up. Whoops. Here's one that came up. Matthew chapter 20. And this should be really good because you just had this a week ago as your Sunday morning service because I watched it from home. Right? We talked about the vineyard workers. So here it is. For the kingdom of heaven is like the landowner who went out early one morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay the normal daily wage and then he sent them out to work. At nine o'clock in the morning, he was passing through the marketplace and he saw people standing around doing nothing. So he hired them, telling them he would pay them whatever was right at the end of the day. So they went to work in the vineyard. And at noon again, and at three o'clock, he did the same thing. So he keeps walking through the market and keeps going, I need some more workers. And he keeps telling them to go out to the field. <clears throat> at five o'clock that afternoon, he was in town again and he saw some more people standing around. And he asked them, what have you, why haven't you been working today? Well, they replied, because no one hired us. The landowner told them to go out and join the others in my vineyard. 
That evening, he told the foreman to call the workers in and pay them, beginning with the last workers first. When those who were hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. When those who were hired first came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more, but they too were paid a day's wage. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only an hour, and yet you paid them as much as you paid us who worked all day in the scorching heat? He answered them, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay this last worker the same as you. Is it against the law for me to do what I want to do with my money? Well, nowadays it is. Um, should, should you be jealous because I'm, I'm kind to others? So those who were last will now be first then, and those who are first will be last. Right? That's what Tom preached on, right? Okay. So I, I said that to him. I said, you stole my passage. No. Um, the difficulty. What's the point of the parable? Is, is the point of the parable about money or something else? It's about something else, right? See, a parable is a short, sort of pithy story that usually has one main meaning. Usually. Sometimes it can have more than one. Some people like to say it's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So, what was the point of the story? Testing. Do you remember Tom's sermon? What was the point of the story? It was salvation. Grace. Grace. Come on. When the young man had heard this, he went away sorrowful. So, remember the context? The context was what? Was the rich young ruler. And when he told him to sell everything, he had lots of possessions. He's like, oh, I got tons of stuff. And he went away sorrowful. And then to verse 23, and Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. And I did that, sorry. <laughs> um, 25b, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible. We can go right back to what we're doing in Matthew to learn that. But with God, all things are possible. Peter asks in verse 27, then Peter said in a reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What will we have then? And Jesus begins to set up the parable. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last first. Interesting. Verse 30. Does that sound familiar from last week? Because we've already seen that tonight. We see that in Matthew 20, 16. So the last will be first, and the first last. So the whole point, Peter wanted to know, what's my reward going to be? What's going to be given to I'm giving up everything to follow you, Jesus. And Jesus' response is to explain to him the truth about the kingdom of heaven. So the point of the parable, the landowner represents God. The landowner is not being unjust. Paying the workers equally was an act of mercy. And God's grace and mercy are given to those of his choosing. That's the point. And we see this. In Romans chapter 9, 15, and 16, when Paul records this for us, 
For he says to Moses, I, God, this is what God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. And we see an example of this where? Where's one of our best examples of this being illustrated? Anybody know? Right at the end of the life of Christ on the cross. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving our due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. There was nothing deserving about this man. He was being hung for his crimes. And, and he didn't have time for a baptism. He didn't have time to go forward at a service. He just looked over and said, Remember me. And God had mercy on him. The point when you, when you do some of the reading in regards to finances, when you listen to some of the people, context, context, context. Because there's a few things, and we'll go through some of them as we go through the series, that I think get pulled out of context, and they go a little too far, or a little too harsh in how they apply their principle. So we have to remember what the context says. <clears throat> okay, so whose money is it? We go back, way back to Genesis. We try to establish whose money it is. After his return from the defeat of um, Shedorloma and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Shebab, that is, the king's valley, and Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. And, and we know he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said... Blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, and be blessed and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. So Melchizedek, one of the things we have to remember, and I wish we had more on sort of what happened right at the beginning of Genesis, because it was written after a fact of a lot of what happened. But in the ancient near world, the ancient world, there seems to be a lot more knowledge of who Yahweh was for whatever reason, whatever text they might have. Um, and, and there seemed to be an understanding. Melchizedek understood who God was. Melchizedek understood that God was sovereign. And he says it right there, possessor of heaven and earth. Right? God owns it all. He's possessor of all. Then we move on to Psalms. And one of the Psalms where, where I can't remember who wrote it. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all its people belong to him. For he laid the earth's foundations on the seas and built it on the ocean depth. Okay, so Psalms, not the greatest place necessary to go get didactic teaching, but it, it does express truth. So the truth it's expressing here is he created it, God created it, so God ultimately owns it all. And then again from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 17 and 19. 
He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He is the one who gives you power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. But I assure, but I assure you of this. If you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, worshiping and boring down and bowing down to them, you will certainly be destroyed. So look what we see in there. Everything's under God's control. Never say to yourself, I have in my own strength done this. Remember, the Lord your God, He, He's the one that gives power to be successful. And that was done to show the fulfillment of the covenant. But I assure you, if you ever forget this, what the Lord God will do, if you forget this and you start worshiping other gods and you start bowing down to them, I will destroy you. So again, a confirmation of everything that we have in our hands and has been given to us by God. It's God that gives. In this case, he was giving because he was fulfilling the covenant with them. Then in Haggai 2, 7 through 9, we read this. And I, God, will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all the nations shall come in, and I will fill this house. He's talking about the temple with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. So who's, it's all about God. It's all about God. So when we look at our money, one of the things we have to remember is it's been entrusted to us, and it comes from God, and we are to be good stewards of it. Remember the parable of the rich fool in Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21? Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in abundance of one's possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentiful. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And I will store up all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And the things that you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. So we are stewards of the money that's given to us. And that is really hard because we live in a society where we're told, pull up your bootstraps, do all you can, you'll be successful, and look at all your gain. And with all your gain, you can get all the toys. And with all those toys, you can relax and enjoy life. And that's not what we're told in Scripture. We'll talk about more of that as we go through. That's not what God tells us to do. The parable teaches us that all we have, not just our money, is 
simply on loan from God. Gifts, talents, everything. And he entrusts them to our care for the short period of time we're here on earth. So if we're going to view stewardship from its proper perspective, <clears throat> whether it's funds that I come in, um, money that comes into my bank account or earnings that I have, whether it's gifts or talents, uh, a talent to be able to sing, um, a, a, a gift for administration, all those things have been given to us and are on loan to us from God, and we are to steward those. Meaning that if you're talented or gifted in some way, then what? You should use that for God's kingdom and to give back to his people. Right? Same thing with money. If you've been gifted money, it isn't so that you can take exotic trips around the world all the time, although I can't find scripturally anything wrong with that if you're also being good with your money in seeing those that are in need around you and say, I have the ability to meet that need. Right? That's, that's essentially what we did with the Ukrainian families. As a church together decided we're going to pool our resources. We can't help everybody out in Ukraine, but we can help a few families, and we are going to use the resources to which God has given us to bless these two families. And a number of churches and communities have done that, and that is great stewardship, and that's what we're asked to do because the money is essentially not ours. It's given to us to steward with properly. Okay, now some practical stuff. <clears throat> common influences. Talked about this earlier. There are common influences, and sometimes we forget what they are. So one of them is your parents. Parents, you still have the greatest impact on your children. How you handle your money, whether you're good with it or whether you're bad with it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to pass on to your children. Things are often more times caught than even taught. Our number one referral... For, for credit counseling was family and friends. They could not believe it. When we moved over to family services in 2000 and something, 2007 was it? <clears throat> we moved into their building with them. They were shocked. So they had their waiting room and they said most times in their waiting room people would sit like this. And he says, but your people that come here with debt issues are different. So they sit down and they go, Hey, Bob, how are you? What brings you in? Oh, I'm having some money problems. You do, eh? So they all seem to know each other. And that's because our number one referral was family and friends. I remember in Woodstock, one of the first bankruptcy counseling sessions I did was with a, a gentleman. And uh, he was an older gentleman at the time. Um, I shouldn't say older. He's probably what I am now. But anyhow... <laughs> He was an older gentleman then to me. I came in, did his bankruptcy counseling, talked to him about things. <coughs> Excuse me. And then um, a little while later, uh, I met a, a young lady, and um, she was like popped out to here, and she comes struggling to sit down, and she's bankrupt. And she says, oh, my, my father-in-law told me about you guys. Just... A horrible situation. She ended up claiming bankruptcy. 
about less than nine months later, but the baby had been born, she brings her husband, who had just claimed bankruptcy and needed counseling for it, and then I met the mother-in-law and father-in-law, I think it was, something like that. It just goes down through the family because no one had ever taught them what it meant to do a budget or how to handle money. And it's something that needs to be passed on. And you will find that families will, a lot of times kids will act, well, all the kids will approach things differently. So I know one family where one of the siblings is, is really quite balanced with it. One of the siblings is a absolute spend everything they make. And the other one kind of watched what the brother had done spending everything or something, but the other one is stingy. Generous to people outside, but basically you'd call them stingy. But they each sort of take characteristics from what they learned. Because when the older one was in the household, the parents didn't have a lot of money. So when he got out on his own and started earning money, it was like, wow, I got money. And he would spend it. The next one down remembers the transition between no money and all of a sudden having some money, but still doesn't ever want to be in the boat where they don't have money, so really works hard at squirreling things away and sometimes will be accused of being stingy. The last one grew up with a little bit more money, a little bit more relaxed situation, doesn't remember quite as much, tends to be a little more balanced like her parents were. But three siblings, I've worked with them. And it was interesting to meet each of the siblings along that line. Okay, friends. I already talked about it, but friends shape us. And oftentimes we hang around people and we influence them. And oftentimes we're like them. And we have to remember that. There's a lot of people that will try to keep up with their friends and it causes issues. I did the counseling for a bankruptcy session again from a couple that uh, drove up from Windsor. And he had a really good paying job, so I didn't, couldn't figure out why he was in a consumer proposal. But uh, he had a really great paying job, and I said, um, I said, I do training courses with credit counselors in Windsor. I said, there's a lot better people than me down there. Why are you coming up here? He looked at me and says, well, I'll tell you, Robert. He said, my wife and I hung around with a group of five couples. And he said, I, I was the one that made the most money. And... Uh, He said, all the other four couples are in consumer proposals. And he says, I'm too embarrassed for them to find out. So we drove the two hours to come up to London. (laughs) But they all hang around each other. They all had some of their same influences. They go to to Detroit and do the the shows and do the night out and do the entertainment. and And they just kept spending and spending. So friends can shape us. Social. 2022 commercial for the Super Bowl. $6.5 million dollars. U.S. Despite what we like to say, media influences. And it influences big time. Unless you're very astute and you're very well aware of your spending habits and what you do, media will influence you. And it's going to be higher. I think they're estimating for the 2023 for it to be into the $7 million range for 30 seconds. Imagine all the people you could feed for that or house. Because there's a lot of 30-second commercials in a four-hour football game. Okay, personality. So everybody's wired a little bit differently. And because we're wired a little bit differently, 
when we approach money, we need to understand that. Some people will be, <clears throat> how shall we say, what was that word I learned? Persos, per, I can't remember it. It starts with a P, persiphonous or personinous or something like that. Peter Harden? No, it wasn't precise. Oh, I meant to put it in. It was a great word. It means frugal, but it sounds better than frugal or cheap. Um, but some people are naturally that way. We are naturally, God has gifted us to be frugal. And so when we go and approach money, we approach it frugally. We'll look at it and say, okay, well, I need to give the money to the Lord, and then I, I need to do this. And, and we're really good with that. My COVID son, oh, sorry, I shouldn't call him that. But anyhow, the one that gave us COVID. Okay, so my oldest boy, he was frugal naturally. That was his personality. He would save up for stuff. And, and he started his own business, which he still has, making pedal boards. And he'd set that money aside. And he started the business because he wanted pedals for his guitars. He thought, well, I made a pedal board and people want to buy it. So if they buy the pedal boards, then I can buy more pedals. So he'd save his money and he'd build and he worked really hard. My next one, <clears throat> after the hockey game at the local arena, I'd like, where's Matthew? We live five minutes from the arena, okay? It takes five minutes to drive from, from Stronach Arena to my house. And we'd be looking all over for Matthew. You go to the vending machine and there he'd be. But I said, Matthew, five minutes, you'll be home. You can get a drink at home. Oh, I don't like this. And, and, or he'd be at the concession stand, and it was our neighbor that ran the concession stand there. And he'd be like, Matthew, last time you ate that, with an hour later, you threw up at home. Maybe it's not good food here, man. And he just had to spend it. And then he came complaining one day. He says, well, how come Joshua has an iPod Nano and he can have all his songs on it? Well, because Joshua doesn't spend all his money. And it took a long time because Matthew had to change his personality and temper it to start setting money aside or he would not have anything. He's much better than he was, which is nice for dad. Religious beliefs and influences. Wasn't it Shakespeare, to tithe or not to tithe? I'm sure that's in one of his plays. Um, giving is a tradition in many communities. Uh, and the question is, how do we let faith impact our finances? We're going to talk a little bit about that at the end. The last time we talk about giving and the concept, do you give 10%, do you not give 10% and all that. But for a lot of people, and it's foreign to some people, this concept that, wow, faith would impact my finances? And unfortunately, for some people that grew up in church, when I asked this question, because I would always ask it out in the, in the community, they'd scratch their head and go, I never really thought faith would influence my finances. But that's a question we should have to ask ourselves. Okay. Again, some practical steps to budgeting. <clears throat> in budgeting, one of the first places that anybody should start at is this concept, and I call it an income box. How much money do you make? What what are your resources? That has to be the starting point. What's coming in? And your resources are your salary, your wage. Do you get GST, HST? Do you have child, uh, Canada Child Benefit? I think that's what they're calling it now. Uh, you're on Ontario Works, on a disability. Do you have disability pensions? Do you have investments? Do you have a small business? You need to think of everything that comes in. And I will make notes up and have them available. Sorry, I just... Didn't, didn't have time to print them. 
and the goal, and the problem is most people live like this. If those red lines represent your spending and the box represents your income, most people overspend. And I can safely say that because Canada has been for years now somewhere in the range of every dollar earned. Canadians have been upwards of a dollar sixty-five to a dollar eighty for about about eight, nine, ten years now. Continually going in debt day after day after day. The average Canadian outside of mortgage debt carries I just said it the other day, twenty four, twenty five thousand. It might be later on in the presentation, but I saw that statistic. That's outside of a mortgage debt. Car, credit cards. Uh, I was just listening to Hoyes Michaelos, um, which we used to do work with out of the Kitchener Way, an accounting firm that went into bankruptcy trustee, and he said the average debt that they are seeing is somewhere now between forty and fifty thousand dollars of non-mortgage debt for people going bankrupt or doing a consumer proposal. We are hooked on spending. So. The object of any, a, any budget is a surplus of some sort, no matter how big or how small, but a surplus. Worked with a woman <clears throat> back in probably 2008. Nope, 2004 or five, because it was before we moved. She was on ODSP. She made at that time $775, and she wanted to come a month. She wanted to come in and talk about budgeting. She lived next door to where our office was, which was on Kent Street in downtown London, and next door was a um, London housing project. So she came in, she showed me her budget, went through everything. She had, and granted, she had subsidized housing, but she had $10 a month left over. I'm thinking, you want a job? You can punch in people. You make $7.75 as a single person, even in 2004 or five. It's like, you can budget with people. Because it was amazing that she had $10 left over. And she, she says, am I doing okay? I said, you're doing fine. What happens when there's an emergency? She says, my cat got sick not too long ago, and I had to take it into one of the vets. She says, I have this little jar I keep my money in. She had enough money in her little jar to go and pay the cat bill. And so all was fine. I said, ma'am, you just, you just keep it up. There's, there's nothing I can teach you. She was, she was doing great. But we need to get there. The easiest way to help us to save for a surplus or to put a surplus in a budget is to begin with goals. Goals help us prioritize our spending. So the first thing I always told people was, go find out how much you make, how much you have coming in. Next, I want you to figure out what do you want your money to do for you in life? What are some of the things or aspirations? and I would have them set aside their savings goals. If they identified themselves as a believer at this point, we would talk about when we're doing all this, make sure you have money for God, and, and sometimes we'd have that discussion of how much that was going to be. So some planning tips if you're doing goals. Goals break down into short-term, medium-term, and long-term. So something a year and under, medium one to four years, and something over five years. If you have never saved up for anything in your life, I always encourage people to take time and figure out a small goal. Maybe it's an evening out, you've never done it. 
Um, maybe it's just an evening out and you're going to save up to go to a nice restaurant. Michael on the Thames in London is usually nice. Um, there's probably some nice restaurants down here, I just don't know their names. But set some money aside for a few months because once you start goal planning and you actually save for stuff and spend it in cash, it's, it's somewhat addictive. It's kind of a nice feeling to leave somewhere and go, hey, I don't owe any money. There's not a credit card bill coming. It's, it's, it's paid for. And you'll be surprised how many people have not done that in their lives. Medium term, one to four, so that could be a, a car you're saving for or something like that. Long term, usually people are saving for houses and retirements. Um, and you can see, people laugh when I put TV and microwave <coughs> in as savings goals. And I put them in for savings goals because of this. I don't, I don't know how many people ha have lots of TVs in their household, so if you do, I don't know that, so don't tell me. We have one TV that hasn't been turned on in years, because I'll watch things off a computer, or if we're going to watch baseball, and I do, I've admitted that, we have the baseball app, but watch baseball, we plug it into uh, a projector we bought for my son for his first aid business, and we watch it on a wall. But um, people will run out and buy TVs, as, whether they have the money or not, as soon as it breaks down. I dealt with one person, and I don't know how, it was like 58, 63 inches, and they were in a townhome. I said, where do you put your TV at 16 inches to be able to watch it? It was at the end of the hall, and they sat on chairs at the end of this hall. And, and it was crazy. And people will go into debt for televisions. And, and the microwave grows. Well, they live on such small budgets or overspending that as soon as the microwave goes, they're on to going out and going to debt to get the microwave. And don't forget the emergency fund. Three to six months of living expenses. And I'll be very honest with you. When we first got married, we had, we had six months living expenses in no time. It was the simplest thing I ever did. I couldn't believe it. It was great. And you know what happened? Nope. Anybody guess what happened? Pardon? Nope. We had children. Uh, <laughs> and then we soon discovered emergency funds are like roller coasters. And that was hard for me at first. I'll admit it. That was hard for me. Sometimes I had such a small rate on the line of credit. It's like, why did you put that in the line of credit? Well, I don't want to take the money out. And then it dawned on me. It's like, well, you dummy, you're paying. This was before I did this other job. I said, you're paying interest, and you have it in the bank. So I got to, okay, that's what the emergency fund is for. And it's going to go like this. And it's not always going to be six months. But that's okay. It goes up and down. So goals are specific, measurable, agreed to, realistic, and time-framed. Goal planning in a marriage shouldn't cause arguments. And sometimes I understand that goal is going to go more towards what the wife might want. And other times, it might be that new motorcycle. Or I would say set of golf clubs in London, but I can't say that out here. I've got to come up with something different. Anybody golf here? Oh, why, oh yeah, I knew Paul did. <laughs> but you know what I mean. It's, it's just going to be an ebb and flow. And when you plan goals together, it should actually bring you together when you start budgeting. 
to talk about, okay, where is this money going? Whether it's giving, and, and that can be a great discussion. It's always fun to me to talk about, okay, what are we going to give this money and what we're going to do with it? And, and also for saving up for things that need to be replaced. A little savings go a long ways. And here's just an example. $50 a month at 4% over 15 years, you'd have $12,000. $100 a month at 4% for 35 years, you'd have $91,000. Just a little bit goes a long ways. It's like that little train that thought he could go up a little hill. I think I can, I think I can, and he did. A little bit goes a long ways. And how, what does that do? I, too often in retirement, we try to get people thinking, oh, you got billions and millions of dollars saved. Well, the reality is, if you had $45,000 and you still got 4% for that, you could get extra $152.28 a month. The $91,000 will yield at 4%, $310 a month. Which, if you're just on CPP and OAS and, and those things from the government, you would think, $310 a month is a godsend. Oh, this is wonderful. I know that because I taught at senior centers many times, and they'd ask me for the $310. It's like, no, no, you had to save that already. Sorry, I can't do that for you. But it will go a long ways. Compound interest is a wonder. Okay, we're almost done. Anybody know what this is? Where's Waldo? <laughs> Good. Uh, Waldo is, uh, he should be up here somewhere, there, there, oh, wrong screen, <laughs> it doesn't reflect the other way, he's right there, sorry, you're right, I thought you were a loony, I said, it's not up, in, it's, no, wait a second, you're right, <laughs> I just have to turn around, okay, and, and this was a fun slide, I got a complaint on this one, well, why does he have a Where's Waldo slide, was the complaint that came to the office. And, and you're probably wondering, why does he have a Where's Waldo slide? This is part of your homework this week. I have a Where's Waldo slide for this. You cannot start budgeting or attempt to start budgeting until you can tell me how you spend your money now. There's no way it's going to happen. Until you can tell me how you spend your money, you can't really say, oh, I'm going to plan for this, or I'm going to give extra money to this. or You don't know. You don't know where your money's going. You need to figure it out. So all kinds of little devices you can get, apps, different things you can use. I used a, a, just a little booklet and just track down, or I, I just get receipts for everything and sit down and go, okay, where's all the money go? Review your bank statements, credit card statements. Make sure you know where it's going. One month is good, so start now. We can have a conversation in week five months from now. But one month is good, three months is better. And don't forget irregular expenses, gifts, donations, vacations, things that you might not do all the time because um, it all adds up. And don't forget Tim Hortons. <clears throat> Tim Hortons is expensive. I dealt with one gentleman, and we got him tracking, and his complaint was this. He didn't live far from us, so his house wasn't that expensive. Um, had a wife and a kid. He didn't know how much his wife made. I said, you don't? He says, no. Okay, well, how much do you make? He says, well, I make $82,000 a year. I said, okay. We'll assume your wife makes a dollar. Well, she makes more than that. And I said, well, I suggest you have a conversation with her and find out how she makes. But 
what's your goal in sitting down to budget with me? He had, they all had one car. It was a Honda Civic. It was paid for. Two kids that were like eight and ten. He said, well, I want to go on vacation. That's all he wanted. I want to be able to take my kids away for a week in the summer and spend time with my family and enjoy them. So I had him go out and track his expenses. At that time, you could have got a cottage down along Yippawash for $700 for a week. He was spending over $1,800 at Tim Hortons a year. That's only $5 a day. And it adds up quickly. So you want to remember all those little things that begin to take away from what you have. So your homework. Understand your income, your income streams. What's going on? Are you receiving all your government benefits? And, and if you're not sure, send me an email this week and I'll send you a link. I do believe it's still up and existing and running. Um, I, like I said, I do still some consulting. And you can plug stuff in and it'll tell you if you've got all your benefits or not. Um, list your expenses. At least get a rough estimate and then start tracking them for the next four weeks. Especially if you don't keep a budget or if you keep a loose budget then every once in a while you need to go back through things and check it out. And ponder and pray over your goals. I wouldn't say this in my other one, but I would say this with you. Pray over your goals. So if there's something that you believe you want or, or need is such a loose word nowadays, pray about it. Maybe God has intentions for that money to go somewhere else and not where you think you want it to go. But pray about what are your goals and what you would like to achieve. Okay. That's it. We get a little bit further next week. We get into credit and debt, debt, some debt next week, a lot of debt the week after that, and how to get out of it, and answer some other questions. Are there any questions tonight? And if you still have them after, you can email them to me, and I'll try to incorporate them if they're not here. Um, but again, I'm used to tons of questions, so feel free to ask them at any time. Okay, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you. And Father, as we talk about some of the, the muck and mire that we get in with money as we live this life, Father, I pray that you open our eyes to whose money it is and, and whom we can trust, and that's you. That as we honor you and as we walk with you, that you will provide for needs and that we need to really understand what needs and wants are. And, Father, that we will look at our funds and steward them for you, understanding, yes, you have given us money, and, yes, there is a, an allotment for us to be able to enjoy, but there is also a responsibility. So we thank you for this time together. I ask that you'll go before us this week, that you open doors for opportunities for us to share your love with others and to bless others and to encourage them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.